Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch, myself, Roland Hume, get to chat to some very interesting figures in the world of self-publishing, traditional publishing, editing, everything to do with this crazy industry that we are in. And today we are very excited to be joined by a special guest, uh, Jerry Manis, who writes under the name J.B. Manis. And is it your dog who is also very keen to be involved in this podcast yes it is <laughs> how are you doing today jerry he's either barking at the neighbors or the lawn <laughs> or mowing lawns uh, doing well excellent and we wouldn't be Warm here without them yeah you're in philadelphia aren't you we were quite yeah. close yeah. and we wouldn't be here of course without the man himself craig touch the uh, owner and founder of hidden gems and an author himself how are you doing today craig i'm doing well it's, it's getting cold over here too so <laughs> we're all uh, we can all commiserate about that summer's over sucks uh so yeah we're we're happy to have you on jared because uh one of the things that we talk about a lot is um you know sort of and i guess we have sort of a uh, a bias towards self-publishing right we talk to traditional publishers as well but um you know the idea that self-publishing has all these pros of um you know high royalties and more control and being able to you know uh take chances on what you're writing easier than if you were trying to uh to publish with a with a big five or with a traditional publisher and uh and so you know we talk a lot about that but um you know sometimes people might think well you know let's all talk right you know if, if or or sometimes there's there's people out there that think um you know the only people that would self-publish are people that couldn't traditionally published right so um and that's not the case but i can see why you know some people do feel that way and and so i like to have guests on like yourself who have gone the traditional publishing route but then have decided to self-publish instead um so like you know those sort of arguments that oh you couldn't be traditionally published you know they don't apply right you have done that you've seen the other side you've seen the dark side and now you're, you're coming to the light. Right. So, uh, so we kind of want to get an idea of like why that is and, and what the differences are you, you've seen and stuff. So why don't you tell us a little about uh, a little bit about sort of your journey, what you write, uh, how you got started with trad and why you've decided to, uh, to move to self-publishing. Sure. Well, I've, I've spanned uh, quite a bit, quite a, a few things, uh, not only self-publishing and traditional publishing, but also nonfiction and fiction. So I started out writing nonfiction on on leadership lessons from history, <laughs> so on business management books, basically. And with those, I went uh, with the traditional publishers. Uh, had an agent uh, went with the first one was with Thomas Nelson. That's now part of uh, Harper Collins, and the, another one was McGraw Hill, and and so on. So I was used to working with the big publishers for that. And uh, then I began writing novels, which I, I'd say is my first love, probably. And uh, the first one was a small press. And so I guess it's sort of uh, of hybrid. But then I decided to go uh, go independent uh, for a few different reasons. Um, with, the, with the latest one that I have, it crossed genres. So it's a little bit of a crime noir and a little bit of a techno thriller. Uh, you know, there's, there's some various elements in it. And with a lot of the publishers, uh, from what my agent was uh, was saying, you know, a lot of them, they like to fall into something that's just like something that's out there, but a little different. So uh, so something that's either a crime noir or a psychological thriller. And as soon as you start crossing genres, like in my case, I have a character that can read people's memories. Uh, so as soon as you start mixing genres, that works very well in film, 
But in the book market, it seems that the publishers, especially these days, are really tightening what they're taking on in terms of of falling neatly within a, a niche. And as soon as you start getting creative, uh, I'm finding it's you're better off going independent and where you have control over the cover and the title and writing the book in the way you see fit as opposed to uh, uh, you know, take more of a, almost like an indie filmmaker approach. Right. Yeah. I mean, they don't want to take chances because these days their income is falling as well. And it's becoming harder and harder for them to uh, market their books against all the competition from, you know, uh, well, from so many things, you know, people are doing other things, but also, you know, self-publishers are out there and other publishers and, uh, you know, people are sort of seeing that they can take these chances and do these other things without them. <laughs> and, and they're starting to do a lot less from what we're hearing, you know, for the authors, right? They used to take your book and do all this marketing and stuff for it. And now it's like they take your book, but they still kind of expect you to do a lot of the marketing. <laughs> That's so, a good point. Yeah, I was going to yeah. mention that. In fact, a, a traditionally published book, uh, you almost act as if you are independently published. So you have to do all the same work <laughs> in terms of all the marketing and and promotional materials and things. Right. I, I would, never used to do that way. <laughs> yeah, I would say to a certain extent, and maybe my bias is showing here, I've come to the conclusion that a lot, a lot of publishers are incompetent. A lot of publishers <laughs> don't understand what it is these days. I was thinking, um, I would say, what's that? Because Jerry and I met through the James Bond community, and there's a, a writer, Kim Sherwood, just published the new James Bond book. And it's so interesting to see how that was so well done in the UK. And then it completely, it took them weeks to sort of get their act together in, in the, the States about marketing this book and having this book available. I'm like, that stuff that you should have buttoned up before you even go and publish a book. I was very surprised at that, actually. Uh, you know, I thought even indie authors these days, if, you're, uh, if you've done your homework, you make sure it's available in the markets uh, that it needs to be in. But, uh, you know, from a traditional publisher, I was surprised to see the, uh, the difficulty in having availability in the U.S., and it's HarperCollins. I mean, it's not like it's a small yeah. little independent publishing house. It's like one right. of the big ones. Yeah, so. that's true. It's true. So why do you think that was? Do you think it was because they um, are not focusing enough on marketing books for authors anymore and expected this author to market her own stuff or that, that James Bond would just sell itself and they wouldn't really have to do any marketing or you know, any thoughts on why that is? I, I think to a degree it's a little of both, but I think it's not so much even the marketing, which very little was done in the United States. I, I think there's so much more that could have been done, but it's also the distribution. Uh, even the distribution, if you try, you know, buying like uh, the new Double or Nothing book, which is an excellent book, uh, you try buying in the United States and there's all kinds of mixed messages about when it's available or is uh, is the paperback available or the hardback and and I was thinking, well, this is a traditionally published book. I would would have thought that would have been a kind of a no brainer, but uh, so it makes me wonder what's going on there. <laughs> but it's interesting in the lead time as well. I think we heard about that book in the time before you'd published your book, and now your book is out. Yeah. You've got a paper back, copy of it right there. It's got right. uh, some very nice reviews. People have been talking about it. We've had Kirkus talking about it and stuff. So it's interesting how you've managed to accomplish a lot within a very short time frame, whereas a traditional publisher hasn't. Right, that's that's true. Is is uh, with a traditional publisher, the process is very long, and that's another reason. I, you know, for me, I, I was working with an agent on this book, and he was very keen on the book, 
and he's been around a long time as one of the top agents, and then he retired. And then I thought, okay, well, going through the process over again with a, with a, a new agent and then trying to get things worked out. And then the publishers, you're talking three to six months before you even land a publishing deal, if you're lucky. And then after you do that, it's another minimum six months, sometimes nine, uh, before they actually publish it. Uh, you know, because of all the lead times and, and everything they need to go through. So as an indie uh, author, you can get uh, your books out a lot quicker. And uh, in this case, I, I wanted to get it out quicker. I, I wanted to have the creativity to span genres and tell the story I wanted to tell. And it just made sense to go indie with this one. Uh, I mean, that's the lead time is one of the biggest things that yeah. um, people complain about is, you know, you could be finished your book today and 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 it's a great book and everybody loves it and and the, the publishers all the traditional publishers all want to want to buy it maybe there's a bidding war but it's still not going to get published for a better part of a year yeah right and and those i think that's what people hear about they hear oh there's there's bidding wars and this one got i i know several people whose books got picked up by big uh movie producers and are being made into films and you know, they start out the same place I did <laughs> and around the same time. But it's um, it, it's it's almost like um, your chance of getting struck by lightning <laughs> in terms of that. It's not that it can't happen. It can. And I, I don't want to dissuade anybody from their dreams of that happening. But I think uh, probably a safer route <clears throat> is if you publish an indie book, maybe you don't have a chance of a publisher picking up that very book. But certainly if it does well and you can make it happen and, and publishers will take notice, you know, you sell 10,000, 15,000 copies and you know, then you get publishers knocking on your door for the next book. And so I, I think that's a, probably a more realistic route for, uh, for you know, people getting into the market. But the irony is, of course, that when the publisher, because I've had publishers approach me because I've sold 68,000 copies of my books. And I'm like, no, yeah, I'm, good yeah. I'm, I'm good, thanks. Right. Yeah. You, know, you send me all those rejection well, letters. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, you know, publishers might come after you, but then the question is, should you? <laughs> and in many cases, you're better off, you know, staying indie. I think Dean Koontz just switched from traditional to indie. Yeah. That's, it's really interesting. Well, one thing I, I was very ha uh, lucky to read your book before you even thought about publishing it. And I get sent a lot of books to, to read by people I like. And I was really struck right from the get go by how like clearly professional your book was i mean it was like publication it. ready the moment you handed it to me all edited in chicago manual of style and it was like wow yeah and it's interesting talking about the genre thing because it's a uh, yeah i love I mean, you and i were a fan of james bond but also there were the elements that were kind of i got a, a vibe of like those 60 shows like the avengers and stuff like that that kind of had the, the the kooky supernatural elements that worked really well and i enjoyed that but it's funny how that falls out of the genre trap here but i think does work very well what has been the reaction to it now you, you've published it well i've gotten a lot of very good reaction oddly enough some of it i didn't expect uh, some of the reaction they liked it because it didn't have the over-the-top violence that's in some of uh, today's thrillers and i guess they some of them like the old school feel to it but i also wanted to make sure the book was very contemporary but uh, I took influence from a lot of like the clay. Of course, you know, certainly scenes. I'm sure you, you notice it was were, were an homage to some of the classic Bond stories. But uh, but also, I was very much inspired by some of the classic Hitchcock films like North by Northwest and To Catch a Thief. In fact, some of it I even reference. In the yeah. So it had sort of like a retro vibe, but uh, set in contemporary times. So that that was important to me. And uh, it's funny. It started out when I was talking with my agent. I had. I had the, this concept of a guy who's 
who, who has the, the ability, or he calls it a curse, to be able to touch people. And then he sees their most painful or traumatic memories, and he experiences it. And I thought, well, he avoids people. He stays at home. He lives with his mother, and his only social life was online. And then, you know, what's going to force him out of his comfort zone? And then he steps out of his comfort zone when he sees about a road rage murder he just has to do something about. And then that's when I thought, okay, well, how do you top that with a villain that's just as... Uh, is interesting. And then I came up with the idea of somebody with the opposite skills and how are they connected in the past? And that's where it becomes a big mystery. And so it, it crosses between thriller, mystery, a little bit of crime noir. <laughs> so the, the feedback so far has been very positive. Um, I thought people would be maybe confused by the cross genres, but uh, I'm, I'm starting to see the readers see it as a strength. Publishers, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that one of the difficulties with the cross genre is the marketing right do you market yeah. it to mystery or do you market it to thriller or do you you know traditional marketing yeah. uh is done sort of by genre like where you know you find right. a place that has readers that read this type of book and of yeah. course you, you know you can you can put it on facebook and that's everybody but you still want to target your audience right so uh, you know you can target it to all those things or or you can have different ads that target because you know maybe the imagery or the you know, the, the taglines that you use would be better for a mystery or for a thriller. Or, Absolutely. You know, yeah. I try to play so those think, different markets. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of what scares away the, the traditional publishers. They don't want that extra work. <laughs> they don't yeah. want to, you know, take a chance and, and a risk. And that's why, you know, if they're going, they're going to people that have sold a lot of copies already because that risk is already, uh, they already, the, the, the author already took that risk and proved that there is an audience. So now they're just trying to capitalize on it, which is right. kind of, you know, kind of. And that happens a lot. <laughs> a lot of times. Harry Potter, I think was some, some 50 or 60 uh, publishers turned it down. They said, who wants to read a book about a, a, a wizard <laughs> in today's yeah. day and age? Yeah. And, and you'd think they'd learn their lesson from that, from, from those big high profile turnaways that they, that they did and then could have been, you know, but I, Hey, you know, it worked out well for, jk rowling so yeah, that's but, true um but like i think it's actually kind of cool like I, I hadn't heard that about dean Koontz, but it's almost like he's sort of uh turning it on turning that whole notion on its head where you know the publishers are trying to like find these authors that already built up their following and so that they can like sort of you know have no risk take that person on get all their money and they've already proven themselves whereas Koontz you know, spent a lifetime and, and all his, his traditional publishers and their resources back in the day when they were actually spending those resources and, and, uh, yeah. and doing all this marketing and he built this like massive audience. And now he's like, ha ha, I'm going to go the self-publishing right. route and sell to all those people. And publishers yeah, get I, I think once it. you have an audience, I mean, unless you're offered millions of dollars, once you have an audience, uh, in his case, probably was offered millions. But, <laughs> and even then he, he realized he was better off uh, publishing, independently and i think especially once you have an audience it's like you know you know you, that's that's gold and there, these days more and more there's not as much that a, that a traditional publisher is going to do for you other than get you into national bookstores but even that's starting to to dwindle in terms of more people buying online and uh, i think as that changes leveling the playing field between indie and traditional yeah, I, I'm surprised that more authors, more big name authors, haven't gone that route because I, I uh, financially, I don't think there is anything that they can offer you uh, that would make up for it, right? Because that's all coming out of the 
their share of the profits that they that they don't want to give you, right? Unless they're going to match the seventy percent that you'd be getting from from self publishing. Exactly. Which there's no way they're going to do ever. So no. like they can say, "I'll give you millions of dollars," but if you if they're offering you millions of dollars, that's because they figure you're going to be making way more than that. So yeah, you're better yeah. off just not doing it, right? So right. I think that the only reason other authors don't do it is maybe they are locked into some contracts, or I don't know, maybe they just haven't really thought about it. Maybe they, you know, they, they're getting bad advice, you know, who knows. Right. And you're going to get a much smaller percentage when you're traditionally published and, you know, and for the large percentage that the publishers get, you'd think that there's more that they would do in terms of marketing advertising, but uh, unless you're a lead title, they don't really invest much in, uh, you know, they'll give it the bare minimum in terms of advertising. I think, I think that's one of the other things. We've spoken to some people who were the, the idea of traditional publishing appealed to them because it's like, I just hand the book over and they deal with everything, which is kind yeah. of nice. But then how much are you actually getting for that? You give them what could be 60% of the royalties, basically. And then right. do, do you really get a professional editing job? Do you really get professional marketing? Do you... Um, and that's and I'm losing a lot of faith that publishers actually provide value for for that. I mean, I was going to ask about the process of getting your book publication ready. I mean, when I read it, that was before you'd even sent it out. It looked like it being professionally edited by somebody else in Chicago Manual of Style. Was that correct? Well, it was, it was actually um, I had it a couple of times. I have somebody I worked with who was my my you know editor for multiple books. Um, she was an editor for this one. But I've also taken on editing clients. I use Chicago Manual of Style. So I also did a round of editing. And then I had a series of, of my beta readers that, I, that I've used that are, I, I made sure to pick people that aren't just going to read it and say, oh, great, I like it. Uh, you know, I, I like people that are very critical, that are going to provide a lot of comments. And, and I, I was able to get that. And so I think it was a much improved book because of it. But between the rounds of, of uh, test readers, the professional editing, my round of editing, and then I have one guy who's almost like, uh, I joke around, he, he's almost like Rain Man in terms of his, his uh, you know, he, he picks out stuff like that nobody in the world would ever find. And, you know, you found, sure, you found a couple things that you know, none of the editors man, uh, were able to catch. And even that, all those rounds of editing, uh, I found one thing, which I've since fixed, where there was an end quote where it didn't belong that none of the editors, including yeah. myself, caught. So there's always going to be something that's going to sneak through. Even in many traditionally published books that I've read, I always find new things. So. Yeah, yeah. But, but one of the other advantages of... I was going to say, one of the other things about self-publishing is you spot a mistake. You have the autonomy to go in, that's upload right. a new manuscript, get it fixed within 24 hours, which you can't exactly. publishing. Correct. That's true, yeah. that's true. I was able to get in, correct it right away, and... Uh, as, you know, from then on, anybody else that downloaded it, we're going to get the new version. So, yeah, but, I, have... but I, I did make sure to, to really take the time to make sure it was edited. I, I made sure that, you know, I, uh, I have a cover designer who, who works for the big companies and he does some on occasion does indie books on the side, but I always, you know, rely on him for the book cover because people do judge a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. a very good cover. I think it's very good. It's a very open brand cover because Craig and I, would, we've done quite a few podcasts about how important covers are and how it's almost like a dress code. If you go to, to thrillers right now, like yeah. 80% of them will be a shadowy figure um, right. center of the thing surrounded by, and it's, you know, you're going to have white typeface and stuff. So your cover looks very much on brand for the kind of genres you cross over. 
And I think that's one of the other reasons why it's like, oh, this is something this this is uh, on par with traditionally published books. Yeah. Uh, my goal with it was, you know, with the, the cover, the editing, I did my own interior design. I learned, I used to have, you know, pay for it. And then I learned how to do it myself. And I saw some, I watched some YouTube videos on ways to improve the interior design and that helped. Um, but the, the other thing I did was I created a publishing company. I got my own ISBNs and I had a logo made for the publishing company. I called it uh, Summerton Press. Where I figured it sounds like a big publishing company, but I live in the Summerton area of uh, northeast, <laughs> the suburbs of Philly. Um, and so, uh, you know, I try to make it look as much as possible like a traditionally published book. Yeah, that that's definitely key as well. I think it, it's it's helped as well that you've gone the traditional route and you've seen how how the how they do things, right? And you were then able to when you went off and 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 self published, you were able to take those things. You re- you realized how important the the cover is, how important editing is. Like right? a lot of people that start off with self publishing, if they haven't done their research, they just they write their book and they figure you know if I write it, they will come, you know, (laughs) right? Exactly. it doesn't matter what the cut, it doesn't, you know, I edited it myself. I'm pretty sure it's okay. And, you know, I did this this cover up and paint because I like the, you know, this, this picture that I just downloaded, you know, and then they're, they're shocked when they don't make a lot of sales and, um, you know, there's more that goes into it, but, uh, and, and, and you don't have to go the traditional route first to, to learn all those things, but, but that's one way to do it, right? Yeah, it I helps think, us uh, how they you know think of things. Yeah, and so you when you went traditionally published with your nonfiction, um, I don't know how long ago that was, but did they do a lot of the uh, marketing and, and such for that? Or? Well, the first book I had was a lead title, and it was it was called Napoleon on Project Management. <laughs> it took lessons from Napoleon's rise and fall and applied it to modern day leadership. I wanted it to be called Napoleon on Leadership. Because, uh, you know, there were times there were a lot of uh, best-selling books like, you know, Attila the Hun or Patton on leadership. and But the publisher felt because I had a big audience in the project management genre, they felt they, they wanted to play to an, an unfilled niche in that area. So, uh, you know, personally, that, that wouldn't have been my choice. But again, that's why you self-publish. So you can make your own decisions. But at any rate, it, that was a lead title. And they invested, a, they, they did do some advertising I had some big coverage, oddly enough, in Canada, for some reason, it got big newspaper coverage. Uh, they had me you know, lined up for radio interviews, and I, I was on national TV in Iceland and, and all that. So I, uh, so there, there was a lot invested because it was a lead title. Uh, my other traditionally published books since, I expected the same treatment, <laughs> and, and I found it was very different. One, because it wasn't a lead title. Uh, B, because it was marketed as uh, as a... Um, like McGraw Hill Education, for instance, they were marking and it was like a, a textbook, uh, you know, the uh, another book that I did, and they, and they priced it accordingly at like fifty dollars. I'm like, nobody's going to buy this for fifty dollars, you know, unless a company pays for it. And again, that was a case where I had no control over the pricing or how the book was treated or marketed. Um, I had a snazzy title, and they came up with one of the most mundane, boring titles that you could think of that made it sound like it was dry, but they said they liked it because it had all the SEO words in the title. <laughs> so, yeah. So again, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's not a panacea, you know, you know, the, as far as going the traditional route, but there is a difference when it's a lead title versus, uh, you know, just something that they, they pick up, pick up. It's frustrating too, because if they go and they 
they make all these changes and they make all these mistakes, you know, they price it too high and they give it a bad title and, or they don't market it or they market it to the wrong group or whatever. Right. And then it does poorly. Then, then who, hmm. who gets the blame for that? Oh, well, we, you know, your book didn't sell. So I guess we don't really want any more books from you. It's like, right, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe it would have, if you did what I wanted instead of what you wanted. Yeah. I mean, I still get royalty checks, but the, the royalties I get from the indie books are, you know, about the same as I get from the traditionally published books. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that's, that's uh, one difference. You know, again, the first, the, the advance is another big difference with the traditionally published books is they'll give you an advance. So whether it sells or not, at least you got that. And so again, you're going to get a lot more with the lead title than you're going to get with, with, uh, you know, just a book that a publisher takes on. You know, they talk, take on so many books and they only give their attention to a select few. And, uh, and, and, and most of them are going to be their, their proven authors. Uh, I lucked out with the first one because they were trying to get into, a, uh, Thomas Nelson was trying to get into a new, uh, a new line, which was their business line. And they had that as a, a break-in title. But uh, yeah, yeah, the other ones, that, that was, I, I don't think, um, typical of your average traditional deal. Oh, Craig, we can't hear you. Sorry. Uh, I think these days a lot of the um, of the of the advances are falling. Uh, you know, they're they're offering a lot less for the advances than, yeah, they, than they traditionally were, um, and they um, they also well, this was always the case, but people have to realize that you know, doesn't matter what the advance is, like you still have to make back that advance before you see any royalties right and because right. the 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 percentage is so low uh it takes a lot longer to do that it does it takes right. a long time before you start seeing royalty payments you know right years before you start right and then see. if you're not getting a big royalty in the first place you know you're not going to be living off that for too long right. <laughs> before you kind of need to have something you know what was the percentage that uh that you were getting for a sale um for traditional like i know for traditional you know i'll tell you the truth it's been so long i i barely remember but it amounted to about maybe three dollars a book or uh, at most four um was that on that fifty dollar title you're talking about well i on the first one i think i you know i think it was selling for like 35 and you know i i would I, so you know i would have gotten maybe 10 percent out of it 15 percent right <laughs> Right. And then these days, you know, on, on, uh, Amazon, you'd get 70%. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a right. big difference. Yeah. I really don't remember the percentage has been so long, but, uh, but I remember it only amounted to a few dollars a book, uh, you know, and, you know, of course the bulk of it goes to the publisher and then, and then the agent might get 15%. So that's, uh, the agent, the agent's 15% comes out of your $3. <laughs> Right. right? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so it's it's even less, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's another thing that people have to keep in mind when they think about traditionally published, like you know, not just that the the overall rate is lower, but there are things that come out of that rate <laughs> that right. make it even worse. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, then, yeah. now that you've so how many books have you uh, have you self published now? Well, let's see. I have uh, three, yeah, three novels that are well. The first one, almost kind of, it was, it was a small press, but I did, you know, again, you know, all the advertising and marketing, 
but after that, I did uh, one self-published uh, sci-fi thriller, and then the latest one is self-published. And so are you finding that two and a half? You, I would say. <laughs> do you do you think that you've made the right decision then? Like, are you um, happy with with how that's gone? I do. I, I do. I think um, now that I've learned to drill in terms of you know the things you really need to have the elements in play. You need to have the book edited, uh, test readers. Uh, and like anything, you want to be able to play to the market, have a good story more than anything. <laughs> uh, really, uh, in this case, I was focused on the characters and making sure I had a good story, good characters. And from there, it, you know, you do need a professional cover. You need to have the book edited. Um, and then also, I think the reviews were very important, too. So I think advanced reading copies is important to, to use a service to get advanced reading copies out there so people can leave reviews by the time you release it. Um, otherwise people go to the page, they see no reviews. And they don't know whether to take a chance on it or not. Right. Right. And that's, I mean, that's always sort of how I answer the question. I even got an email today asking about, um, you know, the, I guess the purpose of reviews. Right. And uh, my answer is always kind of like, if you have, two books that are similar that you're trying to decide between, right? And you have one book that has no reviews and you have one book that has some reviews. You know, the, the, the natural inclination will be to go for the one that has some reviews because it, that just tells you that other people have read it. Other people have taken the chance. I mean, obviously if the reviews are terrible, if, you know, if it's two stars or whatever, then, then that might be a different story. But assuming that, you know, the reviews are, are just, you know, even, slightly above average right you're still going to go for that one because people have taken that chance whereas you're going to look at that one that has no reviews and you're gonna be like well no one else wanted to read it why do i you know right yeah. and you know and and then if there's one that only has a few reviews versus one that has a lot of reviews it's it sort of it goes from there as well i mean there gets to a point where you know it doesn't really matter or or if it's you know 20 reviews versus 25 that's not going to make a difference but you know if it's or if it's even 100 versus 70 most yeah. people don't care about that difference necessarily, right? But right. um, but like if it's 70 versus five or 10, right? You're gonna be like, well, a whole bunch of people wanted to read this and only a few people wanted to read that. Right. So right. it does make a difference for sure in terms of helping you make that sale, especially about from people that are sort of on the fence, right? Yeah. Now one author was creative, uh, Andy Weir. He wrote um, he he wrote chapters individually first in the, uh, on his website, and then people suggested he put it on Amazon. So he put each chapter on Amazon for ninety nine cents, built an audience, and by the time he finished the book, he republished the whole book. Uh, had loads of reviews from people reading all the chapters. <laughs> so there are loads of reviews, and uh, next thing you knew, again he self published that. It was The Martian got picked up by Ridley Scott, made into a film, and. Uh, and he's yeah, a and I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are services now, and we've talked about those as well. That that that's the model where people read books chapter by chapter, like the radish model, even the Kindle Vela model. Yeah. That you know, people um, sign up and they pay some like micro payments, kind of like to read part of the book and then decide. Do I want to read more? I'll pay a little bit more. I'll pay a little bit more instead of committing to buying the book all at once, right? Yeah, yeah. And this time I'm and I'm spending more 
time and thought into the advertising. Whereas the last one, I relied on email blasts and discounts and things like that. The problem with that is you might get a flurry of, you might get a thousand buyers or 2000 buyers, but a lot of those when they're buying them at 99 cents, they might buy them. They, they might never read them. You know, they don't, you know, after all, they only paid 99 cents for it and they may or may not be real, you know, avid fans. So I think a hybrid approach was working out where I'm, I'm working with an advertising company to do some Facebook and Instagram advertising and um, that I'm, I'm finding it's more of a steady stream as opposed to like a big explosion <laughs> and then dissipate. So I'm, I'm trying that. And then I do have a, a one week discount, uh, October 13th to the 19th, where I'm going to put the ebook for 99 cents for a week. And then uh, I'll, I'll do a blast around that. But aside from that, I'm, I'm using more of a traditional advertising approach and uh, aiming for steady, a uh, stream of readers that will hopefully grow over time if people like it and spread the word. Now, what have you got planned for for your next books? I mean, one of the things that works very well for self-published authors is having a series of books, because then when you advertise that first book, you get people hooked in for all of the subsequent books. I mean, do you, yeah. plan, do you plan to revisit uh, these characters or... I do. I do. In fact, I set it up at the end to kind of tease a sequel. And I've already started outlining and I have a lot of notes, uh, like three pages of notes for uh, for the sequel. And uh, pretty soon I'm going to get started actually working on it. I'm doing all the research now. So a lot of my books, I usually like to blend a little bit of reality with, uh, you know, like in this book opens up with a heist and in the, the, the Brussels airport. And it actually was a real heist uh, at the Brussels airport. Uh, so everything played out the same way it played out in real life except they never found out who orchestrated it. In this book, I'm speculating that my character orchestrated it. So uh, so I always like to blend a little bit of, uh, I got that from reading uh, Michael Crichton's books, I think, where he always blends a, enough reality in there to make you think that it, it you know, could be real. <laughs> so, so I do a lot of research. So right now that's what I'm, I'm doing and I have uh, a lot of stuff outlined. So I am going to work on a sequel to this book and the two other books I had, I set up for sequels. So I have those lined up too. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the marketing approach that you talked about earlier uh, works really well when you have multiple books in a series. Um, you know, you, you trickle in the sales of book one, and then that just leads naturally to, to the sales of sub- subsequent books in the series. And I keep I'm hearing that. Well, <laughs> but it works even better the more books you have, right? You know, yeah, yeah. And and if you have multiple series, that's that's great too. If they're, you know, if, even books that aren't in, in series, the more books you have, you know, the more entry points there are to for a reader to discover you and then they go back and and see all your your previous stuff. So yeah. And I do have readers from my first two books, even though this is more of a thriller, whereas the first one was a time travel thriller, the second one was a sci-fi thriller. Uh there is some crossover. So I I think you know the number of the readers would would buy this one. But I think when you have a series, I think people really get hooked in. Every, everything I'm hearing, all the people I speak to that have a series, they've really built a large audience because people get attracted to the characters. They, you know, they wait for the next book. And uh, so that's what I'm going to plan to do is just stick with the series for now and then see where it takes me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you're you going to always see sort of a natural drop off. You're not going to get a hundred percent of readers of book one reading book two, yeah. but, but, you know, as long as you retain sort of a core going going through it, um, yeah, you, you advertise one book and you make three, four or five sales out of it. So right. you know, it, it means what that means is eventually you get to, you know, be more relaxed on how much 
how many sales that first book has to make or what the, you know, the CPC rate is on it, right? Because you can maybe spend a little bit more uh, and and knowing that you maybe you won't get back the money on that one book, but you yeah. know that, you know, 60% of the people who read book one will read book two and three. Exactly. And you factor that into it, right? So, you know, it, yeah. it works out for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm I'm playing the long game here because I think that's what you really need to do with these days. You're building an enterprise. I mean, it's it's kind of. Yeah. I, I was thinking. I've got twelve books in my series, and I'm advertising the first book in that series. And I know that you know I retail my books at four ninety nine, so I get three dollars and fifty cents in royalties. And I know I sell yeah. one on an average of every twelve clicks, which means yeah. if I'm spending more than twenty five cents a click, I'm losing money. But if I can get one person to buy that book. And then by yeah. the second book, every single subsequent book is three dollars and fifty cents of gravy, right. basically. And at that exactly. point, then then it becomes so much more viable as a business model, and it is a business. It's like yeah. we become publishing companies for ourselves. Right. Yeah. And and that's where I'm. I'm in the beginning phases of that is trying to build the audience. Right now, I'm you know I'm, I'm spending more on advertising, uh, you know, the, the, in terms of the uh, the click through. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, you may not make a profit on it, but they, you know, up front, it's not so much about profit; it's about building an audience. And then you know, the subsequent readers is where the you know the profit comes in. And then you can afford to have a self-sustaining model where you're advertising and and you know, generating uh, revenues. Yeah, and it, it's hard because um, you know you came from writing these non-fiction books, so it's not like you can really rely on those those readers as yeah a, yeah there's some over, but yeah for the most part it's not like <laughs> yeah right. so I, I all in all i had five nonfiction books and uh then now i have the three novels and um uh, i told my wife if i write another management book shoot me <laughs> <laughs> now if you were to write another management book another nonfiction book <laughs> would you would you self-publish it or would you go back to you know that's that's a great question. Now that I've gotten my feet wet in the in the self publishing industry, I think if I went back, I would probably self publish it because, uh, especially since you know there I have an audience, I have a platform, I have a niche, and I could you know I could play to that, and I think I would do better than I would with a traditional publisher. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I would. I think. Uh, now that I know more about the, the self-publishing market, uh, I, I think I would definitely take that route. Yeah. You would I've have got... been able to make all the the right choices that you weren't yeah, able to right. make before. Right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes I've found I've got a couple of non-fiction books, and they're almost easier to market than fiction because, you know, somebody's looking – I've got one on intermittent fasting, and it's like if somebody goes yeah. to Amazon – they're looking for a book on intermittent fasting. They're a, yeah. all you have to, you're only competing against those ones rather than fiction as a huge genre. Right. And now that I know that, I'll probably buy that book. Uh, it's not <laughs> bad. It's not bad. experimenting with it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, listen, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the testimonial right there where, you know, you wrote these other books, you traditionally published them, and they were at first, you know, I was thinking, well, how, how well will they translate? It's a nonfiction. And then you went off and did self-publishing with fiction. But here you are after having that experience for both, and you're saying, if you were to do it again, or if you were to write another uh, nonfiction book, and all of your non all of your nonfiction experience so far has been with publishing, or with traditional publishing, you still would choose self publishing. So I think that, that yeah, I, I would. 
And I, I could see writing another nonfiction book, but it probably wouldn't be another management one. <laughs> but you know, but I could see. But I, I, you know, when I do go into that uh, that area, I think um, definitely self publishing is the way to go because again, you have more control over the uh, the look and feel of the book, the pricing, uh, and you already have your audience. And I agree. I think with nonfiction, it is a little bit easier to sell because the audience becomes very apparent. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's a little um, with fiction, you can build up sort of this like mailing list, this group of people that are your fans through social media and all, all the like. Right. And then every time you write another one, you sell into that. It's maybe not as easy with the nonfiction, especially if you're if every book is sort of a like a different topic. Um, yeah. You know, like you couldn't sell an intermittent fasting book to your nonfiction audience or to, right. your, to your management audience. I mean, right. yeah. sure, some of them might be interested in the topic, but in general, that's not kind of how it works. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and that's why I keep my that. name separate. I, I mean, I, I don't hide it. I sell people. I write the novels as uh, JB Manis and nonfiction's Jerry Manis. So I have to maintain two separate websites, two Twitter accounts. And uh, in fact, my agent, uh, I noticed uh, he, he represented Nora Roberts and Ken Follett and a number of other authors. And I, I happened to be, it was funny at the time because I said to him, I said, oh, I see you represent J.D. Robb too. He said, well, it'd be kind of hard not to. They're both the same person. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I realized that Nora Roberts, when she was writing books outside of her genre, she wrote them as J.D. Robb. <laughs> right, so. right. Um, so I don't know what your, uh, or, or what any sort of um, typical I guess traditionally con, uh, traditionally published contract is, but is there a point where uh, you would ever get the rights to those other books back, or different rights, um, or do they own all the rights forever? Um, well, that's something an agent can negotiate. Um, in many cases, they they own the rights. I th- I forget the. Um, you know, it's funny. I'm in the Authors Guild, so you can you can you know with the Authors Guild, you can call up and get legal advice, and that's something I would probably have to ask them if I wanted to take ownership back uh, or in a for instance, maybe they have ownership of the print book and uh, I have ownership of the ebook. Uh, I think in one case I was able to sell the foreign rights to one of my books. Uh, somebody had contacted me in Poland and the publisher said, Oh no, you can, you can sell that on your own because they weren't continuing to a while back. They were selling the foreign rights and now that passed back to me. Um, so I think it varies based on the contract, but it's something that definitely, if you're signing a contract with them and you're working with an agent, that's something to think about is what point the rights go back to you. But, uh, well, even with self-publishing, I mean, you have all the rights, but you can sell pieces of them off. I know with some of my books, um, I, uh, you know, I was contacted by publishers that only do audiobooks, um, or only sell books on, uh, eBooks on Apple on uh, iBooks. And so I sold, you know, those specific rights to my books, to those companies, because why not? You know, they were offering me an advance at the time. I was like, I'm not going to do audiobooks myself. I was interested in, in just going through that whole process. Uh, and they were going to just do everything for it. So it's like, you know, it's just another avenue that you can make money as an author by, by, you know, doing that, especially if you, if you weren't going to do it anyway, you know, some people would be like, well, I can make more if I sold the audio book or if I did the audio book myself. And that's very true. But will you? <laughs> and for me, yeah, yeah. the answer was no. I won't. <laughs> yeah, with one. Book will they do it? Read. Will they do it in a decent way? That yeah, yeah, yeah. One book I had a, a small publisher contact me, and I had a series of articles 
Um, and again, this was back in the management side of things. This was on lessons from the, the Roman Empire, <laughs> from the rise and fall of the Roman Empire in leadership and what not to do. And so somebody had contacted me and they had a, a series of books on lessons from history and they wanted to publish it. Uh, and basically they took my series of articles and they said, you know, they would assemble it all. They would add pictures and stuff like that and they'd send it to me for approval and I could, you know, revise as needed. So I, I went for it and, um, you know, they, they went pretty well, but although they didn't do a lot with advertising and uh, I, I was like half into it at the time, but so we are running up to the top of the hour, but before we go, Jerry, what advice do you have for anybody who's sitting right now on a manuscript and thinking, what do I do with this? Yeah, I think if you're sitting in a manuscript, one thing is, uh, it, it, I, the first thing I would say is get it edited, you know, have somebody edit it. And, you know, and, and even if you're an editor yourself, which I am, it was it, like the old adage about, uh, you know, a, a somebody who represents himself has a fool for the attorney in court. I think the same thing as an editor, yeah, but uh, I so I think, yeah, so I think have it edited. Um, don't skimp on the cover. Again, people do judge books by the cover. Uh, you know, make sure the story is as good, as good it can be, as can be, uh, you know, I, I'm constantly reading, you know, if I'm on my third, you know, finish my third novel and I'm constantly reading books on different aspects, aspects of the craft. Um, and so I think, I think that um, you know, certainly the editor, the cover, um, go for a service that has advanced reading copies uh, so you can get advanced uh, reviews. Um, have a team of people that you can trust that are avid readers and that will be critical that aren't. And, you know, some things you may not agree with everything they say, but, you know, take what you like and leave the rest. But at least you'll get some some candid feedback. Um, you know, and I, a lot of times what I'll say is once you've finished a book and you think you're ready and you think you have everything, let it sit a month and then read it again. And you're bound to find something and say, why did I do that? Or, you know, I, I understood at the time and now I don't. Yeah. So you're always going to find stuff. I think when you let it sit a month and then, and then read through it. So I always say, suggest doing a final read through. Absolutely. That's very good advice. I'm always like, <laughs> even now I pick up a copy of my book and I'm like, Oh God, damn it, I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I'm always looking back. Yeah. And I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> Oh, well, Jerry, thank you so much. This has been a really fascinating conversation. Craig, do you have any more questions? Uh, no, no more questions. I just, uh, you know, I would say that I think uh, the main sort of point, I think, was answered a little, little while ago, which was, you know, from somebody who's gone, has done both now. And the question is, what, which way would you, would you continue going? And it's self-publishing over traditionally publishing uh, for, for... I, I think it, in today's market, it just makes sense. Yeah. For sure. So, and that's, I mean, that's, that's the sort of the point that we were getting through today is, you know, whether or not it is a good decision, even when you've gone, you know, both ways. And I, I think, uh, I think it would be for most people. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I might've said something different in 2006, but, <laughs> but, but now I think it's definitely true. So Jerry, where can people find your books? Uh, right now, uh, my, well, the new one, the mirror man uh, there's a couple Mirror Man books out there, but if you look up the Mirror Man by J.B. Manis, it's right now on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Uh, in November, an audiobook version is coming out, and I'm in the process of uh, publishing it in markets outside of Amazon. So at some point soon, it'll be available on Barnes and Noble. At least the paperback will be available outside of Amazon. I did sign up for the uh, the KDP Select for the ebook, so that's just going to be exclusively on Amazon uh, for at least for the next few months. But uh, but the paperback will be available in other markets. 
my other books are available, I think, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the usual places. Well, that is awesome. Hopefully people will go and check that out. And thank you so much, Joey, for taking the time to chat to us. I found this a really interesting conversation and hopefully a lot of people will have found it valuable. So, well, thank you very much. And uh, if you've enjoyed this, don't forget to leave a comment down below and let Jerry know that you appreciate uh, him taking the time to come and join us. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, give us a like, all of that other stuff. And we will be back next week with another episode of Fully Booked. Thank you very much.